Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Nancy. Welcome to Pediatric Grand Rounds on March 27th, 2019. We will be in April next week, obviously, and we will have a, a strong run of our graduating residents uh, Grand Rounds presentations, I believe kicked off next week by Dr. Chelsea Coles. So um, please be here, obviously, on time. Uh, we have some folks in the outside foyer. I hope you've um, enjoyed some of Auden's uh, treats for us, and this will be a monthly event to introduce us to healthy eating and easy cooking for healthy eating. Um, a reminder also in April, we're, we're um, going to have our all chat meeting on the Thursday, the 11th, down in DH Manchester. Um, hopefully, people will carpool because there wasn't enough interest in the bus, but we're going to have an opportunity to actually. Uh, greet and meet each other in person uh, down in that setting. So um, this morning we're, we're pleased that uh, actually Dr. O'Connor was able to um, jump in at somewhat of the last minute to provide our grand rounds, not the very last minute, but for those who don't know Mary O'Connor, Dr. O'Connor actually has um, been on our faculty now since 2017, uh, a native of Pennsylvania. She um, obtained her undergraduate degree in, at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, Doctor of Medicine at Jefferson Medical College, completed her pediatric residency at the University of Minnesota Hospitals and Clinics, and an MPH in uh, maternal and child health at the University of California, Berkeley, while she was uh, also, a, uh, I think, an assistant clinical professor of pediatrics at University of California at San Francisco. She started her career in Toledo, Ohio, made her way to San Francisco, then back to Cleveland, and then the most significant part of her career was in, um, in Colorado at Aurora, where she rose to the rank of professor of pediatrics in the section of general pediatrics at, at Denver Children's or Colorado Children's Hospital now. Um, along the way, she distinguished herself with a strong interest in expertise in breastfeeding, was awarded in 2000 the Ray E. Helfer Award for Innovation in Pediatric Education. Uh, by the Ac Academic Pediatric Association for a presentation. She um, served as the, on the executive committee for the section or the section of breastfeeding at the American Academy of Pediatrics, where she was therefore a co-author on the, the position statement about which she's going to teach today and, and befitting her emerita professorship at uh, Colorado has well over 40 peer-reviewed publications. She was telling me this morning that she sort of chose us in her retirement as she has continued, for those who don't know, to teach students and residents um, in the general pediatrics clinics. And she joined our faculty as, as clinical professor in 2017. And in her semi-retirement, wanted to continue to have that teaching opportunity. And she and her husband found a, a nice rural setting in which to do that. So we're thrilled that uh, Dr. O'Connor is now going to teach us this morning.
Is that better? Okay. Um, and while I was on the executive committee of the section of breastfeeding, the request came from the committee on substance abuse who was writing um, the clinical report on um, marijuana use during pregnancy and breastfeeding. And they wanted somebody to do the breastfeeding part. And so everybody else on the section of breastfeeding looked at me. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And that's how that came to be. Um, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to go over some of the basic knowledge that we have about marijuana use during pregnancy and breastfeeding. And although we're pediatricians, um, you can't separate out the effects of breastfeeding during pregnancy and marijuana because it's all one continuum. A fetus to an infant is maybe exposed. And so I'm going to spend, and there's more data on the pregnancy part than there is on the breastfeeding part. Um, and hopefully by the end of this, you'll be able to recognize the limitations that we have in data. And hopefully you'll be able to use this information to help counsel women um, regarding marijuana use during their pregnancy, if you see them when they're pregnant, or making the decision to breastfeed. Um, so we're going to start a little bit with some basic marijuana information, some of which is pretty well known, and some of which is stuff that I learned from newspapers and things that went on in Colorado while we legalized it. We're going to talk about mar um, marijuana use during pregnancy, a little bit about epidemiology, what we know, um, breastfeeding, and recommendations. Okay, so... Medical marijuana is using the whole unprocessed plant or extracts to treat symptoms of or other conditions. Now, marijuana, just like tobacco, for those of you who aren't familiar, if you're smoking it, you're smoking the leaves. Um, and it has lots of different substances in it, which are called cannabinoids. And there are over 60 different cannabinoids, of which the most commonly talked about is THC, which is the one that has the psycho psychoactive effect and causes the high. Its proper name is delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. The other most commonly talked about one, which is becoming more commonly recently, is CBD or cannabidiol. CBE is a non-psychoactive chemical found in marijuana, and it has some kinds of anti-inflammatory effect, and it's really been in a lot of the news of late because you can now buy lotions and tinctures and oils and all kinds of things that have cannabidiol in it. A tincture, cannabinous tincture, is something, is a liquid that is made from absorbing cannabinoids into high-proof alcohol and straining out the plant matter. This is a lot of what is used in the medical marijuana because you can just take a drop or two onto your tongue or under your tongue. Um, and so it's much easier to take. Um, it's also can be put in edibles. Um, brownies and other foods. And um, in Colorado, they tried a lot of things, and some of which the legislature had to come back and say, no, you can't do. They put them in candies that looked like gummy bears. And when they first started doing it in brownies, they put it in a package that was about this big, and it had 10 servings in. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got the problem. There were people who overdosed on it, and because the effect when you take an edible is the, the high effect when you take an edible is much slower than when you smoke on it. People would eat a little bit and then they said, oh, well, I'm not feeling anything. I should eat some more. I should eat some more. I should eat some more and then had um, problems. So they had to add some rules that said that edibles had to be packaged in single serving sizes. Um, and no, you couldn't make anything that looked like a gummy bear or anything like that that a child would be interested in taking. Um, the term for, people talk about medical marijuana. Well, there's no, the only thing that's different between that marijuana and other marijuana is that the reason that it's being used. And when we wrote the clinical report, we struggled with the term of what to call people who were using, what to call the marijuana that was being used by people for non-medical reasons. We didn't like the term non-medical. A lot of what was in the literature called it recreational marijuana. We really, knowing that, this part of this was going to pediatrics. We really didn't like the term recreational marijuana. My two co-authors were adolescent medicine docs, and they didn't want the teenagers thinking this was good for recreation. <laughs> the term that's now appearing in the literature more is adult use marijuana, and I really like that, and that's what I've started using, calling um, other marijuana. And that's partially because it works because <coughs> all states who have legalized adult use marijuana, it is only legal if you're 21 or over. 
In no state is it legal for teenagers. Okay. Um, marijuana plants can be bred for different concentrations of THC and different concentrations in CBD, and so they breed some with lots of CBD and low THC and others with high THC and low CBD. Um, the concentration of THC in marijuana has risen, and it was about 4% in 1995. There are some strains that have been tested in Colorado where the concentration of THC is more like 30%. Um, can be smoked, taken orally. THC is highly lipophilic and stored in fatty tissues in the brain, and that's what makes it a concern for the use in marijuana during pregnancy and lactation. As many of you may be aware or may not be aware, there is a disconnect between federal and state regulations, and that states have legalized it, the federal government hasn't, and that has caused some problems. Um, number one, there is no regulation on pesticides used in marijuana. There are regulations on pesticides you can use for your food. There are regulations on pesticides that can be used on tobacco. Nothing for marijuana because pesticides are regulated at the federal level, not at state levels as a rule. Marijuana is a big business, and it's also a cash business. By federal law, marijuana companies, because they're illegal under federal law, cannot have a bank account. Okay, so I had some mothers in my practice in Denver who worked for marijuana dispensaries, and they got paid in cash. Every week they got paid in cash because, and you can't, Banks will not take money if it smells like marijuana. So if you have money in your marijuana store, you can't take it to the bank and deposit it. So you give it to your employees. And, it, and there was a big increase in safe courier services to, who were currying, taking this money from one entity to another in Denver. Um, marijuana is taxed and used for state revenues. And states have discovered that they can get a fair amount of money from that. That has its pluses and minuses. Um, is it any different than taxing alcohol? I don't know. Um, those using marijuana are more likely to use other substances. Is other illicit substances. Is marijuana better than using opioids? I don't know. I don't think the answer is out on that. Maybe. Um, and there are very few medical studies on the effect of marijuana because there is no federal funding for marijuana research. They are, one of the things that Colorado did is um, some money was given on an annual basis out of the tax revenue um, that Colorado made for the health department to do some studies on marijuana. So there are some things that are coming out from Colorado, some research now, only looking at the medical effects of marijuana. All right. This is a map of states around the U.S. And um, the very dark green states are the ones that have legalized adult use and medical marijuana. The white states have no legalized marijuana at all. And the others, the brighter green, have a medical marijuana program. And the other states have what they call a limited CBD and low THC medical marijuana program. So as you can see, most states have done something to legalize marijuana, but it's sort of all over the board here. So, there are some significant ethical and problem issues in looking at the research on this. One of the things that people who do breastfeeding research know that it's very difficult to do developmental studies in breastfeeding because you can't randomize the mother to breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, okay? You're not going to randomize the mother to be pregnant or not pregnant. Can you randomize the mother to use marijuana or not? Absolutely no. So, we're a lot of the almost all of the data we have is observational studies. Um, and um, child abuse and neglect reporting. By national child abuse and neglect reporting laws, any use of marijuana to a child is an indication to make a report to the Department of Human Services by federal laws. Now, I can tell you what used to happen in Colorado. After they legalized it, they would report, and they were so overwhelmed by the number of the reports that it fell way to the bottom of their list of what they investigated unless there was something else. But that can be a problem for families, and mothers need to know that. A lot of mothers who use marijuana may be using other substances also. So that's something you need to keep in mind. And some of them are using only marijuana. Okay, so this is some national data on the use of marijuana during pregnancy um, from the National Survey of Drug Use and Health. And I also put the tobacco data up there 
This is from 2016 and 2017. And you can see um, that for the, uh, all ages of pregnant women from 15 to 44, the rate of marijuana use between 2016 and 2017 increased significantly, still less than the rate of tobacco use. The other thing that's interesting about that, if you look at use during the first trimester, you can see that between first trimester and second trimester, it <coughs> decreased significantly. And part of that is because there were, there were probably a lot of women who were using marijuana before they got pregnant, didn't know they were pregnant. Once they got pregnant, they stopped. Okay? But still, that fetus was probably exposed during the first couple months of pregnancy. And as you can see in poverty, um, if you look at the poverty levels, the marijuana use was higher in low income, just as the tobacco use is. So in some ways, the usage mirrors some of the usage of tobacco. Now, this is some data from PRAMS. And is everybody familiar with PRAMS? Anybody who doesn't know about PRAMS? Okay. PRAMS is the National Pregnancy Risk Monitoring Program that is run by the CDC. It's a questionnaire study that the states give to mothers of infants who were born to state residents between the time they're two months and six months of age. They take a representative sample. In New Hampshire, they sample about 1,200 women a year. And they have about, a, in New Hampshire, they have about a 55 to 60% response rate. They look at a lot of things. They look at um, tobacco use. They look at, they're now looking at ACEs. They look at problems with um, nutrition during pregnancy, anything that might be a risk to the health of the mother and the infant. They also, and most states participate in it, and there is a required set of questions. There are also a set of optional questions, and the marijuana questions at this point are optional. And Vermont, I looked at data on Vermont and New Hampshire since we see many patients from Vermont, and this data is available on their website. And um, Vermont has been using the optional, some of the optional marijuana questions since 2009. New Hampshire started in 2015. And I also collected the data from Colorado because I thought it was an interesting comparison looking at states where we don't have legalized adult use marijuana versus Colorado, which has had it since 2014. And the, this data is the average of two years. Um, in Vermont, it was 2015 and 16, and in Colorado and New Hampshire, it was 2017. And as you can see, the first question was, in the past, in the year prior to your becoming pregnant, did you use marijuana or hash? And it was a yes or no question. The second question was, during your most recent pregnancy with this infant, did you use marijuana or hash? And after the birth of your infant, did you use marijuana or hash? It didn't ask how often you used it in this part of the survey. And what I found very interesting about this is that there is very little difference between the, the reported, and this is all maternal self-report, um, there is very little difference between the use in Vermont and New Hampshire and Colorado where things are legal. So women are using it whether or not it's legal. Why are women using it during pregnancy? New Hampshire asked another question, and this is data from 2016 and 2017 about why they used it. Unfortunately, the way the data was analyzed, they could not separate out the usage, whether they used the year before, during pregnancy, or after pregnancy. So this is the total mothers who used it, who answered the question. And they couldn't, like I said, they couldn't separate out. But I think you can probably make some guesses. For relieving nausea and vomiting, I would guess they may have used it during the first trimester of pregnancy. It's a guess. Fun and relaxation, I would guess maybe they used it during, before pregnancy. Maybe they continued to use it during pregnancy. Maybe not, okay? Um, and stress and anxiety, it's hard to tell. Um, they told me that they're going to try and separate this, this out in future years of data analysis. But anyway, it's a little bit of why women in New Hampshire are using marijuana during around the time that they're pregnant. Now, this slide is a little bit more complicated. And this looks at mothers who used marijuana and their breastfeeding rates versus non-breastfeeding rates. So all three slides are the same. 
The blue line is mothers who did not use marijuana. The orange line is the mothers who used marijuana. And the first point is at birth, and the second point is at eight weeks. So among women who used marijuana before pregnancy, there was no statistically significant difference. And this is, again, the New Hampshire data. There was no statistically significant difference as to whether they initiated breastfeeding or not. But by eight weeks, mothers who had not used marijuana before pregnancy were more likely to continue any breastfeeding. If you looked at moms who used it during the pregnancy, there was a statistically significant decrease in those mothers initiating breastfeeding and in the duration at eight weeks. And the percentage of mothers breastfeeding by marijuana usage after delivery, again, there was no difference in initiation, but more of those mothers quit using by eight weeks. Um, so I can't say that one or the other is a cause-effective relationship, but that's the association that exists. So how do we know that mothers are reporting this data accurately? We know that a lot of teenagers underreport their use, a lot of adults underreport their use of illicit substances because they don't want their doctors to know, to think bad of them, they don't want to get in trouble with the law, whatever the reason. So this was a study that was done in Northern California, Kaiser. Over 150,000 um, people were studied, mothers, women were studied between 2009 and 2016. This was largely a time when medical marijuana in Colorado was legal, but other marijuana use was not. And the purpose of this study was to look at whether they were using it for, um, to relieve nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. And what they found is that 8.3% of the women used marijuana in the year before pregnancy, 5.3% used it during pregnancy. And use during pregnancy was defined as a positive tox screen at their eight week by their screen at eight weeks or a positive questionnaire response. So either or or both was included in that 5.3%. 58% of those using with a positive screen during pregnancy were picked up by tox screen only, which tells us that almost in this study, over half of the mothers would not have picked up just by maternal report. They, and they also found that mothers who were seen for an OB visit for nausea and vomiting during pregnancy and had that as a coded diagnosis were more than twice as likely to use marijuana as those who were not coded for that diagnosis. So clearly in this study, mothers were using it to relieve as an attempt to relieve nausea and vomiting. Now, is there another reason? Why, again, are so many women underreporting? This is a study that I just found from um, that was done in Canada, and it's a compilation of studies. It's not a meta-analysis because the studies used different methods, but they looked at exposure to secondhand smoke. And if you could, if people, not pregnant women, but if volunteers who were exposed to secondhand marijuana smoke would have a positive um, screen, would have positive uh, THC in their blood. And they looked at about a number of different studies, and basically what they found is that they, they actually looked at urine, sorry. Um, urine levels of THC and metabolites and the subjective effect in participants passively exposed to marijuana smoke in an unventilated environment four to eight hours after exposure. So they put somebody smoking marijuana and somebody not smoking and put them in an unventilated room and looked at the results and collected urine on the co-participants, not the smokers, okay? And basically what they found is that the top column is the amount of THC in the smoked cannabis. The second column is the amount of THC and metabolites in the urine. And um, the third is, did, they, did the non-smoking participants feel anything that they or thought made them feel slightly high? And as you can see, as the amount of THC in the smoked cannabis increased, almost everybody had THC and metabolites in their urine. So could some of these mothers who are testing positive be exposed to their partners who are smoking? I don't know. I have no idea. This is a hypothesis I have. I haven't seen anything written about it. But we know you can be exposed to passive tobacco smoke. So I think this is another issue in this area. Now, 
How does marijuana work? Marijuana is involved in what's called the endocannabinoid system, or the ECS. And it's, it's part of the nervous system. There are two types of receptors, CB1 and CB2 receptors. It's present from about five weeks gestation in the fetus. And the receptors exist on central and peripheral neurons in the presynapse. It has an interaction with opioid as well as serotonergic and other neurologic systems. So these receptors are intimately connected with varying parts of the nervous system. Um, the CB1 receptor is more associated with the THC, with the psychoactive properties of THC. CB2 re receptors are more associated with cannabidiol. And the CB1 receptor in rodents is found in basal ganglia, substantia nigra, globus pallidus, cerebrum, and hippocampus. And interestingly enough, CB1 receptors are increased on transition from adolescence to adulthood. And you know, there is some data showing that teenagers who use marijuana may be more likely to use it consistently um, and to use other drugs in later life. In the fetus, CB1 receptors are located in the amygdaloid complex, varying other places in the brain. So you do have in the fetus receptors for this. The CB2 receptor is located largely in the immune system, a little bit on the microglial cells, and is related to inflammation. So that's the cannabidiol receptor. Exposure to cannabidiols can increase placental permeability to drugs. And marijuana use also has some effect on uterine artery pulsatility. And the other one that I find interesting is THC readily crosses the placenta. The concentrations of THC in fetal plasma are one-tenth of that in maternal plasma if it's ingested orally and one-third if taken IV or inhaled. And I don't know if anybody knows why, but this tells you that taking it orally, you may absorb less than if it's inhaled. Um, and smoking marijuana can also increase carbon monoxide levels in pregnant women. So what do we know about the outcomes of marijuana use in pregnancy? Looking at short-term outcomes, there are a lot of small studies. This is, there are two large meta-analyses, and this is the best study of the two of them covered a large number of years, over 7,800 people who used marijuana. Marijuana use was defined by report, urine or meconium screen um, in the mothers. And they attempted to stratify by frequently see of marijuana use, tobacco use, and other drug use. And by short-term outcomes, we're talking about outcomes at delivery or soon after for both for the infant. And in unadjusted analysis, they found what they have found in a number of smaller studies, there was an increased risk of low birth weight and preterm delivery. However, after adjusting for frequency of marijuana use, tobacco, socioeconomic, and demographic factors, there was no association between marijuana use and low birth weight or preterm delivery. And because this is an observation, these are all observational studies, we can't say cause and effect, it's all association. They also looked at the risk for small gestational age or placental abruption um, and basically found the same thing. After they pooled the data and adjusted for frequency of confounding factors, there was no association. And they also found no association between marijuana use and greater than level two nursery admission, spontaneous abortion, or gestational age. So when you're looking at outcomes at birth, they have not found obvious associations with outcomes at birth. But clearly we need to look at other long-term outcomes. And this is something that we looked at in the AAP clinical report. And the AAP clinical report was published in the September um, issue of pediatrics of this past year. So there are four studies that have looked at varying long-term outcomes of marijuana use during pregnancy. And during none of these did they pay attention to breastfeeding. They only looked at pregnancy outcomes. The two that have the most data are the first two, the Ottawa Prenatal Prospective Study and the Maternal Health Practices Study. The Generation R study in the Netherlands um, apparently is looking at developmental data, but there's nothing that's been reported yet. Um, the Ottawa study and the Maternal Health Practices Study from Pittsburgh are all from the late 1970s, early 1980s. Their patient populations are a bit different. The Ottawa study was a more low-risk white middle-class families. The Pittsburgh study was high-risk, low socioeconomic group of low-income mothers in the city of Pittsburgh. 
the long-term outcomes from the Ottawa study. Both of the studies were fairly similar in that in the early years, they did not find much changes in developmental outcomes as measured by developmental test scores and other developmental testing. Um, the Ottawa study only had 84 marijuana-using mothers, so we're not talking about a lot of moms. They found no differences in the first three years. At four years, they found lower scores on verbal reasonings and memory tasks. And then things seemed to develop more, six to nine years. Lower scores on language comprehension, memory, visual and perceptual function, and reading tasks that required sustained attention. And with higher exposures to marijuana, higher rates of behavioral problems. And they did try to adjust for other drugs. Nine to 12 years, deficits in executive function tasks, visual problem solving. Um, other teenage years, decreased in attention, problem solving, visual integration, and analytic skills requiring sustained attention. 16 to 20 years, higher rates of depression, greater use of tobacco and marijuana. And in 18 to 22 years, they found functional MRI changes in working memory. So they're finding things that may not be obvious on IQ testing, but may be important in your functioning in life, and that you, you have trouble with decision making, you have trouble with problem solving, um, your executive function is not so good. The MHPCD study found a lot of similar things. At nine months, they found slightly lower Bailey developmental test scores. Three to four years, decreased memory and verbal measures. Decreased memory and verbal measure at six years, increased impulsivity and hyperactivity. Nine to 12 years, increased hyperactivity, impulsivity. 14 to 21 years, higher rates of tobacco and marijuana use, increased risk of psychosis. There's also been some recent reports in adult use that have just been in the news recently that use of higher, higher THC marijuana may be associated with increased risks of psychosis in adults. Um, so there may be something to this. Um, the ALSPAC study is the Avon study in the United Kingdom, which looked at a broad spectrum of the population, tried to capture almost all births around Avon in England. 585 of their 15, of approximately 15,000 women used marijuana in the six months before pregnancy. 311 used marijuana in the first trimester. They have not published anything about developmental outcomes. They looked for psychotic symptoms, and they found it was associated with Psychotic symptoms were associated with increased frequency of tobacco and maternal alcohol use, but not with maternal marijuana use. And this was at age about 15. Um, so people, so the teenagers were not that old yet. So we have a bit of a mixed bag. And we looked at this data when we did the clinical report, and we really felt that there was enough to be concerning in regards to that. So. What causes the effect on the developing fetus? And it appear it may be something in utero. Um, Tortorella found fetus exposed to marijuana had decreased substances necessary for neuron, neuronal axon lengthening, and this is in the growth of the nervous system. Um, it can disrupt signaling and sequencing. There also may be a role of epigenetics um, in the dopamine receptors. Um, Again, this, there's only preliminary data about this. And um, they're wondering whether the dopamine effect may be associated with higher rates of drug addiction in adults exposed to marijuana prenatally. The ACOG says about pregnant women is that women contemplating pregnancy or early pregnancy should be screened for marijuana use, counseled about potential adverse effects, discouraged from use. Um, and um, that's their statement during pregnancy. So now we're going to get to breastfeeding. And as all of you know, breastfeeding has many medical effects, both for the health benefits for both the mother and the infant. Mothers using marijuana while breastfeeding may have used it prenatally. We don't have a whole lot of data on that, but I have a little data in another slide as to how many mothers used it um, both during pregnancy and after delivery. THC in marijuana is transferred into breast milk. We know more about this than when we did the clinical statement. Um, we don't know how much of it is absorbed in the stomach or the intestine of the infant. Now, when we did the clinical report, which came out in September of this past year, this is the data that we had about the transfer of marijuana into breast milk. Patient C, the last one, came from a study that was 
devising a method to measure marijuana, and they only had one point. Patient one and two came from a letter to the editor in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1982. And that was the only data that we had. Now, how many of you who take care of infants have used Hale's medications and mother's milk to look up to see if it is safe for the baby to use drug X, Y, and Z? Okay, okay, a goodly number of you. How many of you remember in past editions a statement about marijuana that said that marijuana was concentrated in breast milk eight times to what it was in maternal plasma? Okay, good. That came from patient B. <laughs> that was the only data, and if you multiply eight times seven, you get 56, which is close to 60. Um, that statement is not, is out of his most recent versions. Um, so that we really, when we did the clinical report, we had a real dearth of information to go on. But we now have some more information. There are two studies that have come out recently. Um, and I'm going to talk about this regarding breast milk and marijuana and breast milk. And I'm going to talk about them in a little more detail. Um, San Diego has a mother's research milk bank where mothers can donate a sample, some samples of their breast milk. They tell them how to collect it, and they give them a very extensive questionnaire to look at medications they might take and lifestyle issues and things like that. And then these samples are available to researchers who want to study something. So the people in San Diego decided, well, we should look and see. And, and sure enough, there were 15 breastfeeding mothers who admitted using marijuana while they were breastfeeding. And, um, and they, had milk, they had 54 milk samples, so they had double samples on four mothers. Um, and they, these are the questions that they asked. 64% used inhaled marijuana only. 14% used other only, meaning an edible or a tincture or something else and 11 used both. Um, most of them used once a day or greater than once a day. And at the time they collected their breast milk sample, most of them of the infants were over three months of age, okay? They measured THC, 11-hydroxy-THC, which is a metabolite of THC, cannabidiol, and cannabinols. Only one sample had THC, 11-hydroxy-THC, and cannabidiol in, and that was the one that had the highest level of THC um, in it. And interestingly enough, the sample with the highest cannabidiol, that's the one that's picked up by the CB2 receptors, had zero THC. And this is their graph. This is a graph of the log concentration of THC. So it was not normally distributed, so they log transformed it. And at the bottom, you can see they reported when they last either smoked or ingested marijuana. And on the bottom, you have the hours since exposure. And you can see the levels were highest in the first 24 hours after exposure, and then fell. And what they found was that the hours since use was a negative predictor of the log of THC concentration. So the farther you, out you were out after you used, the lower your levels were. Makes sense. The number of uses per, uses per day was also significantly associated with increasing log of THC. So if you used it more often, your THC concentration was going to be higher. They also found that the longest duration between the last reported marijuana use and measurable THC was 140 hours, six days even among women who were using it regularly. So for a number of years ago, there was a recommendation that they, mothers, if you wanted to make sure they got rid of the THC that you had to wait, they had to pump and dump their breast milk for two, week, two weeks, okay? You probably don't have to do pump and dump for two weeks, okay? It's now down to six days. And they estimated that the half-life was 27 hours. So the half-life was about a day. So this is, it's a small, it's, the biggest study we have, it's not a huge, but it does give us much more information than what we have. The second study was done in Colorado and actually is a very interesting study for ethical issues also. Um, they attempted to enroll mothers in, they enroll, enrolled mothers in Colorado in the Denver metropolitan area. They enrolled through posters and things in community health centers, varying places where mothers might, where they might find mothers who were using marijuana. Um, they were looking for mothers one to six months postpartum with a term infant who were smoking marijuana. And 
they, it was one of those things where they gave you a phone number or an email address to call, and if you were interested, you phoned the study participant. You found, phoned the study organizers. Okay? The study organizers sent them a consent form with the explanation of the study. And they said, we want you to read the consent form. You do not have to sign it and return it because they wanted this to be anonymous. The study <coughs> authors did not want to have to be, if they were subpoenaed, to have to have, give up the names of the mothers who were involved in the study. Okay. Um, so they received the consent form. And if they were interested, they called back. And they received a packet which had a new glass pipe for smoking marijuana in, a breast milk bottles, freezer packs, and instructions on how to collect the breast milk, and a questionnaire. They were encouraged to have somebody else with them when they collected this. And they were sent to a certain marijuana dispensary in the Denver area. And they purchased a pre-weighed sample of marijuana. Everybody got the same amount of marijuana with a THC percentage of 23%. So everybody got the same thing. They were instructed to abstain from marijuana use for 24 hours before the study, and then to smoke it like they would ordinarily smoke marijuana over 10 to 20 minutes, and collect the breast milk at 20 minutes, one, two, and four hours from both breasts, mix it, freeze it, and then send it by overnight mail in this freezer pack that they sent with it, okay? And back to the study authors. And um, so eight women enrolled, and they gave them a questionnaire which talked about lifestyle issues, how often they use marijuana, and things like that. Only five filled out the questionnaire. Um, and the infants were all three to five months of age. Um, the number, those who, for those who filled out the questionnaire, the number of times they used marijuana per week ranged from one to seven to ten per week. So about once a day, maybe a little bit more than once a day. And the estimated marijuana use ranged from 0.05 gram to a gram per day. They found no THC metabolites in the breast milk, but they did find THC. They estimated that the relative infant dose of THC was 2.5% of the maternal dose. And the amount of THC peaked at one hour and decreased over the next four hours. And I'm going to show you this in graphic form. So. The breast milk collection sites are on the time out was when they collected the breast milks at, it was about 20 minutes. It was really more than, than more like 30 minutes because by the time you had to finish smoking and then you were supposed to start collecting right away. Well, it, people weren't always quite ready. So it was more like 20 to 30 minutes, one hour, two hours, three and four. And as you can see that by two hours post, the peak was at one hour, by two hours post, it was significantly reduced. And by four hours, it was really quite low. So for mothers who are using occasionally, I think we have a little bit of data to say, if you really have to use it while you're breastfeeding, if you wait four hours and possibly pump and dump that first set of milk that comes out at four hours, then you can go on and breastfeed your infant. And get less marijuana than if you feed immediately after. Again, this is eight infants, so it's not a big sample. So what are we left with from these studies? Um, these are some issues related to marijuana use from breastfeeding. Number one, they may be reported for child abuse and child neglect. Mothers who are using marijuana while breastfeeding may have used it while they were pregnant, and that may, does that have more an effect of the infant during that time of development than postpartum? I have no idea. Are mother using other drugs? That's a big important question that you need to sort out. We have no data on how much is absorbed by the infant. And the second study, the reason they didn't look at that was again, they wanted the mothers to be anonymous and if they were gonna send the baby to get a blood draw, they wouldn't have any anonymity because most of the study authors were not in the Denver area. They were elsewhere, and all the analysis was being done somewhere else and mailed. So we have no data on how much is absorbed. The studies from pregnant rodents showed that they seemed to absorb more if it was inhaled than if it was ingested. So whether that applies to babies, I have no idea. Babies who are exposed to secondhand marijuana smoke, 
Are they getting it that way? They certainly could. We have no data on that. That's a whole other issue to look at unrelated to whether they're breastfeeding. A baby being formula-fed could be exposed to secondhand marijuana smoke. So where did, and what are long-term outcomes? We don't have any long-term developmental outcomes on infants who <clears throat> were breastfed. We have two short-term studies from the 1980s. They're not very good studies. I'm going to review them very briefly. They only both go out to one year of age. <clears throat> this was 258 women who used marijuana during pregnancy. These, many of these women also used other drugs, including alcohol. Most mothers decreased use during pregnancy. Only 27 mothers used marijuana while breastfeeding, and they found no differences in Bailey developmental scores at a year of age. It was a small study. They didn't control for alcohol use and use of other substances when they looked at the marijuana data. It's not a very useful study. This other study is a little bit more useful. Um, this was developmental outcomes of 68 white middle-class infants whose mothers used marijuana. Um, they actually controlled and matched for mothers with similar alcohol and tobacco exposure in the 80s. In this study, they were actually to tell you that 79% of breastfeeding mothers who used marijuana also used while they were pregnant. So this is the only data that I know that shows consistency of use between pregnancy and breastfeeding. So if you used while you were pregnant, you may continue to use while you're breastfeeding. Um, infants exposed to marijuana by breastfeeding in the first month of life had decreased scores on motor development at one year of age. No, and these were based on the Bailey. No difference in developmental tests in, in the, the psychomotor, the developmental half, only on the motor half. And there was no difference when the marijuana exposure by three months of age. And marijuana exposure during the first trimester of pregnancy was a confounder for all these results. And again, it's a small sample size, no long-term follow-up, and the confounding with pregnancy use. So, preterm infants. I have no idea. I don't think anybody has any idea what to do with it. Um, I, I'm at PAS meeting, I'm giving part of this talk to a group of, called the Milk Club, which is breastfeeding, people who do breastfeeding at PAS. And I'm, part of the talk I'm being given with a neonatologist from the University of Colorado who's also doing some work in this area. And she says their group at the Children's Hospital and the university cannot even agree on what they should do with preterm infants um, whose mothers are, have a positive tox screen at delivery. Some give donor milk, some give mom's own milk. They all agree that they counsel the mothers not to use. Um, we know that for preemies, maternal milk can make a big difference in outcomes, in length of stay, and in infections, and things like that. One way to look at it would be if the baby was born at 27 weeks, they may be getting more across the placenta than they would by taking what little bit they're getting in colostrum. I have no idea. We have no data. Anyway, educational resources. One of the things that Colorado did right when they legalized marijuana, and they did a lot of things right and they corrected other things that weren't so good, is that money went to the health department to put together education for patients and for healthcare providers on marijuana use during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, and also education about um, referrals and things like that. And they put together a set of handouts that have been updated in 2017 last and are available on their website. And if you don't have any other handouts, these are good handouts. Um, other states may have done something um, too. Um, and I didn't really look at New Hampshire because since we don't have legalized adult use marijuana, um, I didn't, most of this happens when you legalize adult use marijuana. So what did we say in the clinical report? We said women planning pregnancy, pregnant or breastfeeding should not use marijuana or be exposed to marijuana smoke. They should be counseled about possible long-term developmental issues that may be associated with exposure to marijuana and also possible exposure to child welfare investigations because I think you have to be honest with mothers. Um, some people deal with that by if the mothers, if, uh, if the provider thinks that the mother is really making a good effort and caring for her child um, and she reports using marijuana that they don't do a tox screen and then they don't have quite as much legal necessity to report because they, it's only documented by maternal report rather than by tox screen. And they need to be referred for help as needed in abstaining. We do know there are a number of studies that show that if you support mothers in stopping marijuana use, uh, during pregnancy, 
um, they will stop. And they can stay stopped for the duration of pregnancy. Many of times they start up again later. Um, and we may be, and they may not, we may not be doing enough use to figure out why mothers are using. And certainly there's a lot on social media that says marijuana helps nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. And maybe it does, but maybe there are other things that help better. Discuss the benefits of breastfeeding. Um, pediatricians need to be involved with your health departments if you're in a state thinking about legalizing adult use marijuana. Um, and Colorado did that really quite well so that you de develop a constructive, non-punitive policy for mothers and education. And we clearly need more research. Um, and then, so I think we have, yeah, we have some time for questions. behind legalization in Washington and Colorado were really different. And in Washington, they wanted to more decriminalize and regulate and make it more safe. And in Colorado, it was, hey, it's better than alcohol. I'm surprised, though, if you have a sense, because these studies are small, that people who drink can have one glass of wine and probably don't drink every day. I mean, I think there's some people that do drink every day, but these are all, like, every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably not just taking a and then be, and walking away, right, like the whole joint. So mm -hmm. yep. I feel like they get more impaired, so it's hard to equate those uses. Do you have a sense that there is a body of women out there that are smoking much less, that it may not be as relevant? I just, they're using it more like alcohol? Um, I think it, there could be. I think we don't know. And I think that one of the things that um, states that are beginning to collect PRAMS data that may help particularly, but they have to use the questions that the CDC asked. And the question is not how long, they did not ask the question, how often are you using it? They just asked, did you use before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and after birth? And are the states doing anything to regulate the quality control, make sure there's not poisons in it, and it's? No. <laughs> Thank you for that nice uh, presentation. Uh, I'm having little difficulty with the long-term studies. They were pretty small, mm -hmm. and a huge issue would be separating out those possible negative outcomes from all the other gazillion factors in these kids' lives, mm -hmm. which would take huge that's right. Numbers to be able to do. So we're using that as, as, as maybe we should as a possible warning, but it's based on almost nothing. That's right. And that's why we were, when we wrote the clinical report, there were some people who felt that you should say that any marijuana use by the mother should be a contraindication to breastfeeding. And we felt that when you look at the benefits of breastfeeding to both the mother and the infant, that that data was not there. And so, although we say you should abstain, um, we're not going to, the recommendation was you don't tell a mother you can't breastfeed if you use marijuana. The recommendation is you should work with that mother and try and figure out, can you decrease her, her usage? She needs to know, she needs to know what we know, that there is a possibility of some risks that may not appear, some developmental outcomes that may not appear early on, may appear later. Is everybody going to get them? No. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the problem with this area. We lack good data. I don't know if I answered your question. Yes. Um, I'm just curious, you focused a lot on the biochemical transfer from the breast, placenta, et cetera. But what about the fact that the mom is high and her vigilance of her own behavior and of both the infant and her other children? Yeah, and we did put that in the clinical report, that mothers may become impaired uh, by marijuana use, and which may affect their ability to care for their child. Yes. I didn't, I didn't touch on that here. And that's a good point that I could put in. This is the first time I've given this talk. But anyway, it's, it's a very good point. And yes, it is something... Um, that we put in the clinical report. It, it seems like uh, the United States and other countries are 
embarked on a great social experiment without good controls. You've thought about this, you've read about this, you have significant knowledge of this. What's your, what's your sort of intuition, given your own biases? What's going to happen a decade down the line overall, not just in pregnancy and... In and everything with marijuana, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, nobody does. But and um, I can tell you, I did not vote for legalization of marijuana in Colorado. I voted against it, and um, I think there is a push by the big marijuana businesses, and the tobacco companies are getting into the marijuana businesses, and they're seeing it as a way to make a lot of money, and I think that's part of it. On the other hand, um, for people who have chronic pain, is marijuana use better than opioids? I don't know. Certainly in young kids, in teenagers, we know that it early use by teenagers, there is some data that shows, I don't know that we know definitely, but there's some data that show that they may like, more likely become, it may more likely be a gateway drug if you're using it as a teenager into others. I don't know that we know that in adults. I think there's just so much that we don't know. And, um, and, and with the limitations on research with money and the federal government um, and things like that, that doesn't make it easy to do large-scale studies which take a lot of money. You can do smaller studies like these two on the breast milk because they can be funded by local sources. And, you know, the, the Colorado Department of Health has a certain bucket of money each year to give out, but it's something like $100,000. So you're not going to do any huge study with $100,000. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. And I, I have to admit, I got called, I got referred somebody whose mother, who had a woman who was being charged with child abuse and neglect because she was using marijuana while she was breastfeeding her baby. And um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Is that child abuse? I have no idea. It's funny. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to help update our Northern New England Perinatal Quality Improvement Network and breastfeeding guideline around this. <laughs> and we also have a marijuana brochure on pregnancy and lactation that I think we need some updating as well with your expertise. Um, I just wanted to, one, provide, I don't know if it really provides a lot of clarity, but just talk about mandated reporting around marijuana use. But then also ask you how you would, at the bedside or you know, having mom in clinic, really talk with her and interpret all of this and to provide guidance and counseling. Um, but so around marijuana use uh, with the CARA and CAPTA legislation um, at the federal level, they actually don't provide any like legal interpretation for states about substance use and substance affected infants, and we don't know for sure if babies will be affected. We have concerns. Okay. And then um, we had a, a plan of safe care summit in New Hampshire and Concord back in January and had uh, Joe Brenton, the director of the Department of Child DCYF, and then also Lucy Hodder, who's an attorney at the New Hampshire Institute for Healthcare and Policy and Practice. And he said, in our current state um, legislation, we do not have any wording that says that maternal substance use of any kind mandates. Okay, reporting. good. But it's um, us as providers looking at the context of that maternal substance use and does that pose a risk for potential harm or neglect for the baby. So as Madge was talking about, if we're really concerned that the mom's use is frequent, heavy, and she doesn't have a safety plan for her baby, then we would be mandated to report, report. that circumstance. Or she's using so frequently that, I mean, it's hard because we don't have really good data, but so frequently in breastfeeding that we're concerned that it may be holding up to a level that would impair her baby's development. So the, it's hard because we were hoping for like black and white around this and we didn't get it, but I think that's important to know that maternal substance use on its own, especially like marijuana, doesn't, on its own, we need to report. Okay, good. But we need to kind of look at the context in which the substances are used and whether there's and I think I think that's the way it should be handled in that it's it's one part of their life 
and depending on what's going on in their other life. Um, and I think what I would say is that we don't have a whole lot of data. There is some data that show that when these kids grow up, they may have more problems with attention, um, decision-making, and things like that. Could it be related to more development of risk for addiction in later life? I don't know. I think, it, I think it's very hard to discuss, but I think you do need to say that there may be some problems. Um, and, um, and depending on where you are, you may be more um, liable to be, and if they tend to go on vacation and something happens to the baby in another state that may have more strict reporting laws, you could get into trouble. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that, how I explain that in the future. Thank you, at least for New Hampshire. It is 